0: Hello there, everyone, and welcome once again to Insight Peterborough. I'm Devin Wilkins. Insight Peterborough is a project of the Peterborough chapter of the Canadian Council of the Blind. And if you'd like to know more about CCB or the Canadian Council of the Blind, then all you have to do is send an email to ccb peterborough at gmail dot com. I had a senior's moment there, believe it or not. Uh, ccb peterborough at gmail dot com. I've said it so often, how I can have a brain freeze is uh, beyond me. But anyway, I did. Well, the changes that have been made to Peterborough Transit are on a lot of people's minds these days. And uh some people who are thinking about it belong to the Peterborough Council for People with Disabilities. So this past week, I got the chance to have a chat with Executive Director John McNutt. And here is our chat. And do listen to what he has to say, because you can participate in a survey survey that he's going to be talking about. So here's my chat with John. Hello, John, and welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Devin. Glad to be with you.
0: First of all, before we get talking specifics, can you tell us what the Peterborough Council for People with Disabilities does here in town and what it is?
1: Well, I think I can I can kind of sum it up in a couple of words, Devin. Uh, Our role is to advocate uh, on behalf of uh, our 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 people, and and then I think the biggest thing is the education, the education part that we have with the community at large. And when I became the chair. Uh, eight or nine years ago uh, The before the before the cities were mandated to create the the accessibility uh, Organization Mm -hmm. uh, CPD had a a number of other responsibilities. They served on the built committee and you know uh, into just about a lot of different facets and (laughs) when all that was removed there was a concern amongst some of the board members that had been there for quite some time, that you know, we would lose our, I guess, <laughs> the best way of saying it is influence. And because I was new, uh, I, with all respect, I could sort of look at it, it maybe in a, a fresher uh, look. And <clears throat> as far as I could tell, the.
0: Okay, sounds good. So speaking of uh, advocacy and that sort of thing, I guess you have been um, uh, speaking with the city uh, about the changes that have been made in the transit system?
1: yeah uh, I, I, I'm a believer in uh, if, if you can't be part of the solution, don't be part of the problem. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and I think that uh, sometimes Sometimes people in general
1: uh, head to the negative side of things and to, too often to the detriment of, of, of trying to improve the very thing they're concerned about. Yes. Um, I might make some people mad that I said that, but uh, when I contacted it, Lori Stratton, is the, the new transit person there, and mm-hmm. is, no pun intended, you're driving the bus. <laughs> on the transit chain, uh, she, she, when I said to her, look, our job is from, from a, from through the lens of a person with disabilities, is to try and share with you, um, what we see from our vantage point and where possible, provide some possible solutions to, to whatever the issues are. And I must say that that was meant with, um, a great deal of interest and a great deal of uh, reaching out um, I don't want to get ahead of your questions here mm-hmm. but we are going to be developing a, an instrument a, a survey and Laurie has asked uh, if I would share what the questions are going to be and they're going to share with us documentation that they're receiving so okay that to me is the way things that, that that's our best chance of a successful
0: solution. Now, I'm just curious about something. Um, Did the consultation begin before the new route was put into place or afterwards?
1: (laughs) Well, uh, I have to say afterwards, uh, and what what we've heard of, now I'm going to broaden this out a little bit. What we've heard, certainly since the start of the pandemic, there's been a couple of things that have appeared to be unilaterally put in place, mm-hmm. and the transit being most one of them. Um, and we've been told that there were <laughs> there were people inside of the city uh, without being. And so, we know for a fact that, that at least, we we believe there there wasn't even consultation with with their own uh, AODA, I think it is. I called the Air Canada Center, the <laughs> Capability Awareness Committee. Uh, my understanding is there wasn't even consultation there. So, uh, again. <laughs> Not wanting to dwell on that and trying to, to move, we've got somebody here now, and uh, we also have. Uh, I know she won't mind me saying this. We we we've, we've had a friend in Leslie Parnell for some time now, and so it's good to have That's a voice at the council
0: Oh, for sure, you bet.
1: And Leslie has. We again, we've shared with Leslie along the way, and she uh, she's a willing. Uh, advocate for us.
0: Oh, wonderful! Good. Uh, now you may I, I
1: don't know. You know, uh, uh, the other thing, just broadening it a bit, was uh, uh, even even the, and and now fortunately we're, we're being able to do something about it. This this was the the measures put in place for the reopening of of retail stores and what have you. Uh uh-huh. And. It sort of dawned on us that, okay, they've done it and, and good on the businesses because it's also, also cost the money and everything else. But just a quick uh, check in with us, and we could have said, well, when you're doing this, try to make sure you do this so you can accommodate everybody. That's right. So we fortunately, uh, again, I'm probably maybe jumping ahead on you, and I apologize, but we fortunately have got a, a small grant from the Community Foundation and. Uh, Probably somebody you're familiar with, Jason King, yeah. uh, is is now embarking upon uh, going into businesses, and again, in a, I keep saying, look, we're not here to put barriers up to, to what you're trying to do. We're here trying to assist the so we can say to uh, you know our, our audience that look, so and so store is is very uh, uh, safe and and uh, and and helpful to go into.
0: All right, that sounds good. So you're doing other work as well as the as the transit. I hope the the mall uh, Lansdowne Place will soon open up the the food court because it's hard to eat a sub and drink a pop when, if you have to stand up.
1: I, I wonder, Devin, with the uh, with the announcement uh, like a of stage three uh, inside restaurants to that. So I'm know a lot of friends that are dying to be able to go because the food court becomes also a socialization. Yes. And and uh, so I I, I wonder I, I can't imagine why the food court wouldn't be included and uh, because they also they I mean they're set up as such that they could you know make sure everything is six feet apart and no more than whatever the number is at a table. And, yeah. 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 So.
0: And uh, fifty people will be allowed to gather now. Yes. So as long and as that, that uh, uh, you know, we're, dare I say, we're inching towards some kind of normalcy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that will be great.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I mean, Peterborough has has done a pretty darn good job when it just uh, Rosanna fell uh, there's. Uh, Conference this morning, or I guess it was from yesterday. Uh-huh. And, I mean, what we were over three weeks with no cases. That's and, right. And uh, I mean, somebody said I thought it was cute. Tony said we didn't flatten the curve; we squashed it.
0: <laughs> I love it. <laughs>
1: I, think, I think our biggest balance, quite frankly, is now trying to make sure that outsiders don't, don't, you know, make that tough on us.
0: Yes, that's for sure, and they could so easily.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, there's pent-up, uh, I'm up in, uh, I'm up in Coddy, you know that, or at least I'm up in the Bancroft area. Okay. So I'm in the, I'm in the, the health unit from uh, Prince Edwards County, and, and masks are, are obligatory in all retail uh, places.
0: Oh, uh, yes, yeah. Yes. I and think they uh, will soon be here, too.
1: Yeah, I would think so, and I, and I think it's largely largely because this area, too, gets inundated with... I mean, I'm at the, I'm at a resort here, and, of course, everybody's from out of town. Yes. So, so uh, you know, they've got to try and make sure that wherever they come from, that they're going to uh, keep us safe as well. That's
0: for sure. Yeah. So when will this survey be ready? I take it as a survey.
1: Yeah, it is, and, and so here's the timeline, Devin. We um, we're just uh, pulling together now, and, and as a smaller committee, uh, we agree ten questions is plenty. I, in, in what I do for a living, I I get surveyed to death, and yeah. In Laurie's hands by the middle of
0: September,
1: so that she can formulate any responses or whatnot. So, um, and we'll consult along the way. I want to make sure that, uh, first of all, I want to make sure that we can get the survey out as widely as possible. Um, The survey, I hope, uh, does not turn into a uh, a condemnation on the plan. This is, this is as it's seen through the lens of a person, that a user of the system, that has lived experiences. Yes. And, and uh, so, uh, and and you know, one of the challenges, uh, and I've tried to make sure that everyone understands, uh, if everybody wants to give you their anecdotal information, and that's good, but... Um, already in the early going like i have received many reports that are third person oh yes and i keep saying them like i'm sorry guys but this doesn't much good unless you we can talk to the person who is saying this is the issue yeah and, and uh boy oh boy uh i had at least one thing that i think would fit that information and the person was the person was very pleased with me when i said look if this happened, then I need to know the story. It happened in front of the people involved. You know what I mean? Yes. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: so, uh, to your listeners, uh, and I, and I would hope all of them would, would accept the survey. Uh, but uh, and, and there will be a spot. Remind everybody: If you want to send in things, please. Uh, if you witnessed it yourself, fine. That's firsthand. But if you're saying, you know, I was told, then it's I'm not saying it's it, it's no it's of no use at all. But it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I. I understand.
0: I, yes. Yeah. You, you you want uh, first person as many first person accounts as you can yeah. get. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: As opposed to third person.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's still time. Uh, I think you told me whether you want me to say this. I think you told me this was going to air Monday.
0: Yes. C P D dot C A. Yeah. <coughs> Great. Well, thanks very much, John. Is there anything else I should be uh, asking about?
1: No, I, I I think well, like like most not-for-profits, we're always looking for people that are interested in participating with us. Uh, Jason King, of course, runs our uh, our Time in My Shoes program that is uh, momentarily. Because, yes. of course, the, the groups and one thing and another. But we are uh, investigating a way to uh, digitize it to some degree. Uh-huh. And uh, so, yeah, i uh, always looking for people that are interested in what it is we do. And I want to thank you so much for this opportunity. And uh, I'm glad that I was able to meet you by phone.
0: Yeah, that's great, John. I look forward to meeting you in person someday.
1: Uh, sure, we will.
0: And and if there's, uh, I'll play this maybe a couple of times during July. Yeah. And uh, so if there's anything more I can do, please uh, keep my yeah. number or email address or whatever on hand, and and uh, you and I can uh, chat again.
1: Yeah. So what what might be useful, Devin, and I would be more than happy is is it, you know to give you an update sometime in August. Uh, okay. You know, maybe it doesn't have to be a full what we're doing right now, but even a quick update or whatever. But I'd i I'll be available for that. And as, uh, as I tell you, as, as it unfolds, I'll keep you in the loop, okay? Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll copy you on the information and you'll know what it's about.
0: All right. That'll be wonderful. Thanks so Thank much, John.
1: Okay, yeah, well, have Take, care. Have a
0: good day. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Mm, bye bye. Bye bye. So be sure to keep an eye or an ear on your inbox for further information and listen right here for an update in early to mid-August. Also don't forget about the special that I would like to do on uh, the use of medicinal cannabis. If you use it because you think it'll be good for you, or if you've been prescribed uh, either uh, cannabis in whatever way, maybe oil or uh, pills or whatever, and you like it, I'd like to hear about that. If you have an opinion otherwise, I'd also like to hear that. So, please remember to drop me an email and we'll plan to pre-record what you have to say so that I can fit it into an hour-long special coming i don't know when that will all depend on you folks <laughs> so don't forget to send me an email and we'll arrange something to uh, so that we can get together and the email address is insightpeterborough at gmail.com. That's insightpeterborough at gmail.com. Well, we're going to dig back into the archives now. If, if you are someone that has a hobby that you'd like to share with other people, or if you or someone with a disability who has just started a, a new business venture. I sure would like to hear from you. Jason Shazar did that a couple of years ago, and actually he has two businesses on the go. And so we're going to hear the interview that our previous co- uh, co-host Simon Trevor Annis did with Jason Simon recorded it on his phone and as you'll see it came out very crisp and clear and uh, if you give me a call or I should say if you send me an email at insightpeterborough at gmail.com we can certainly interview you so, have a listen to Simon's interview with Jason Shazar.
3: So I'm here with Jason Shazar from Uncommon Entertainers and Network Like a Magician. Hi, Jason. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for
2: being on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's been a nice long day of work and uh, living my life the way I choose. So it's been good. That sounds. <laughs> that sounds preferable. So. The reason
3: that we're having on your show is because I think you've got a really exciting story to tell, and the work that you're doing is is really quite relevant to, to our audience. So, I guess, could you start by letting us know who you are and, and what you're all about?
2: Perfect. I'd be happy to. Um, as you mentioned, I'm with Uncommon Entertainers and Network Like a Magician, which are separate but similar entities. Uh, Uncommon Entertainers is a support organization for performers of the unique arts, we all believe in challenging the limited perception of what is possible. That is why some of us play with spin fire or play with magic, juggle, dance on aerial silks. We also perform professionally. We've, uh, we've had clients such as Justin Bieber, The Dragons. Uh, we perform for Lennox Lewis, Bill Kazmaier, Olympians, Fortune 500 companies all over North America. Uh, and that's the entertainment side of things and i'm the magician within that group and and the head visionary behind it and it's called Uh, uncommon entertainers uncommon entertainers yes it's based out of uh at a with most of the the artists here but we are uh, we have artists all over ontario most of which have some sort of challenge or obstacle both physically and mentally in which we've been recognized for in supporting those artists and supporting those individuals in helping to overcome the challenges so that they can go on and live a life uh, of success uh, with the proper income and support that they need to really really take themselves to the next level
3: I guess success is somewhat uncommon too isn't it <laughs> yes it is <laughs> very cool very cool mm-hmm. and and sorry what was the other thing I guess network like a magician
2: yeah network like a magician is more corporate training facilitating and speaking uh, I'm very fortunate I travel the world sharing both my personal story about being deaf as a child and using magic to face my fear uh, as well as to teach networking, uh, championship teams, sales, and a lot of corporate structure. So I have clients uh, anywhere from Fortune 500 companies down to one-on-one individuals. I have been in the last 60 days. I've been in Ireland, uh, Edmonton, and Vegas. I've been paid to go out and travel and, and speak to these different organizations and groups. And so I'm now on average in front of anywhere from a few hundred to a few thousand people every single week. Wow. So, I mean, you
3: strike me as a relatively young person, and you have a, a pretty exciting story. So, I guess, how did you get there? How did the, it just didn't just come about all at once. You mentioned a little bit about it in your your introduction there, but, mm-hmm. but could you elaborate? How did you get here?
2: I'd be happy to. So, uh, as you mentioned, I appreciate your compliment. I'm 34, uh, and, and I definitely, I stand up on stage and in front of people, and I'm a master magician and, and all this, but it wasn't always that way. Uh, when I was about four years old, maybe you can hear a bit of my accent, uh, it's actually a speech impediment. When I was four, I was diagnosed that I was partially deaf. Uh, it was like 85% deaf. Couldn't hear, as a result, I couldn't speak. It was only found because I had a language all of my own, and so at first I was written off as just uh, as classified as special, and so and was told, my parents were told that I was just slow, uh, and then a couple more years passed, and they realized it was actually a hearing impairment, a very simple hearing impairment, that could have been solved with tubes, but because it wasn't caught in time, uh, the damage was already done and I, I couldn't speak English. Tubes, as in like
3: fluid or something? Uh,
2: there's a, there's so they do a surgery on your ear and they put a, a, I think of it as a sponge, it's a thing that goes in your ear called a tube and it sucks up the oil and the um, back, the the substance within your ear that actually blocks your ear and prevents you from being able to hear the wax build up, basically. And so it was a very simple solution, if caught in time properly. It's not something that uh, kids face too many times nowadays because they get tested for it regularly, but back then it happened all the time. And so as a result of not catching it, it took 12 surgeries and a decade of speech therapy, just so I could start speaking English. A decade of speech therapy. Yeah. I went to Five Counties Children's Center uh, for a number of years. I had an in, I had a therapist in my school, and had uh, support all through high school uh, because of my because of my learning disability as a result of the speech speech impairment. And that was no anxiety. small task. That's a lot of work. Like oh that. yeah. Well, when I was 17, I used to hide. Uh, One of my favorite things when I was that age was I successfully stayed out of every social activity. I stayed out of the yearbook. Uh, Most people did not know who I was or where I was. Even some teachers didn't even know I was in the class. I was professionally. uh, I was actively pursuing the idea of being invisible, and I was very successful at it.
3: That That was was magic
2: by itself. Yeah, that was my goal through high school. Wow, so...
3: Are you a late bloomer, or did you, were the seeds of your of your magic started early in life? Like how did how did that come about? It's a passion, obviously.
2: Very much so. Uh, it changed my life. In my opinion, magic saved my life. Uh, it came because of my parents. So even though that I, I mentioned the one side of me, the shy, anxious, social, socially challenged individual who couldn't be around more than two people, uh, my parents at a young age saw that I loved magic. And so about five years old, they invited a magician to come to my birthday, and I was too scared to even go in front of, like, be at my own birthday party, I was hiding. And uh, the magician got me to get up in front of people, and he made me float. And I I got scared, of ran and he's like, that's okay, just close your eyes, and got me up. And so my mom tells me the story about how the first time she saw it, and she had tears in her eyes, and I was all excited because I was floating in front of everybody. What my parents saw was me in front of people and so from that day forward they always encouraged magic i watched YTV, learned tricks from magicians on tv went to the library and got books and they bought me magic kits all the time when i was 12 they hired that very same magician to teach me so even though i was this socially shy and anxious boy behind the scenes on weekends i would go work with a magician behind the scenes taking care of the bird and the bunny and practicing magic and being taught one-on-one it took me four years before i ever got on a stage but I spent four years behind the scenes practicing up in my room and, and honing my skills. So when I was 16, I started performing on stage. When I was 17, late into my 17th, almost 18th birthday, uh, I woke up. It was in November. I, I absolutely hated life. Hated it. I, was, I had no friends. I didn't socialize with anybody. I just stayed up in my room and practiced magic. And I got fed up, and I said, enough is enough. And I realized I'd ask myself questions to help compensate for some of the other thoughts I was thinking at that time and so I uh, decided I would go get a close-up magician to teach me close-up magic because at this point I'd learned stage silent, done to music. I never spoke on stage. I learned close-up magic and then I thought of an individual who I knew at a young age who could help me and so I went and asked for help. And so he invited me out and by association he was very social, very gifted in the gab. I asked for the help. I tried to run away when he said yes. He wouldn't let me run away and insisted and in help basically you know figure uh, imaginatively having someone's hand on your shoulder holding you there going no 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 you asked for help let's go and so I uh, sucked it up and I went And over the next couple of years I uh, built up a bit of confidence socializing with people by showing magic tricks and he was like my first promoter and so I would wow. show tricks I wouldn't speak I wouldn't talk I wouldn't look up but I'd show magic wow. and I slowly built my confidence up that way
3: alright without trying to go too in, in depth on something that might be a sensitive topic. I'm really curious. I mean, you're telling me that 17 years old is when things started to really, you got on stage and you started to, to do things. That's the end of high school, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yes. you're, so your entire schooling uh, was you trying to be invisible. Yes. It, literally, it was the day after I graduated that my life changed. H- how much of a, of a factor was the hearing impairment and the speech impediment?
2: Uh, I would in say... In trying to be invisible, I guess. I would say it was the, so I don't think, when I think of myself, I don't think I had a disability. I don't think I had a challenge. I think I had life, and that was just my obstacle in life, and it's one of many. If I was the, if I wanted to have a, oh, look at me, here's all the things that, uh, reasons why I should fail in life, I have at least 15 stories that pop into my head from my mom having a stroke at 12, my etc et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, what, et cetera. Um, Yeah, we won't go into those, but how I look at it is, is, um, the influence, I'd say what held me back, wasn't the challenge of hearing or lack of hearing. It wasn't the speech impediment. It wasn't the ability that I couldn't. no one could understand me until I was like 10 years old, 11 years old. None of that was a factor. What was a factor was my mindset. In my head, I had this self-limiting belief. I believed people when they said I was slow. I believed people when they said I can't do that. I believed them when they said I'm not good enough or you're whatever, we all have one, I'm not pretty enough, I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I'm not smart enough, I'm too, we all have one, and so it was 17 that I literally, I sat up in bed and I realized, this is not right, I'm scared, I'm terrified, and I started listing off all the things I was terrified of, and I decided that day, it was a a cold November, I sat up in bed, I said, enough is enough, I'm getting past this, and so from that day forward, everything I did was to... To be the new me, to be the me I choose to be, not the me everybody says I would be. Wow, that's that's
3: a great story, I guess, and that's something that that you've shared with people. This yes. this is a rather inspirational trajectory, and I, I, I guess that there's other people out there that would that would love to hear that story. You've had a chance to to share your story, I understand.
2: Yes, uh, as uh, I'm a kinsman, I, I'm a part of a bunch of organizations and associations. Char- children's things are what I get involved with the most. Um, but as a kinsman, just like when I got helped at a young age of 17, when I was 25, I started, uh, I'm an electrician by trade, and I left the trade to do my passion of magic. I wanted to make my living being a magician. And so I joined joined a bunch of organizations, and I started networking using magic again as my safety blanket to go out and socialize. And I met an individual a kinsman who heard the truth. See, up until that point, if you said, where are you from? I said, where do you think? If you said Zimbabwe, I went, yeah, how would you know? And quickly Googled where that was. And uh, because I was too scared to tell the truth. If I said, it's a, if someone said, what's, what's your accent? And I said, it's a speech impediment. My first response that I got from them was, oh, I'm so sorry. And they felt embarrassed that they asked that question. And it didn't bother me. It's, it's who I am. It doesn't bother me. I have a speech impediment. Uh, it's barely there now, but back then it was still strong. But I had another friend who came out of the woodworks, just like my McLaren did back when I was 17, who decided I was going to overcome this fear. And so he signed me up for the speech competition for the kinsmen. Oh. And told me that when the day I showed up, he was a Toastmaster because I was also a Toastmaster trying to work on my my ability this, to speak. Are we talking
3: about Dave right now?
2: Dave, na- f- he was National Vice President Dave Watson of, uh, of the Kinsman Club. Yes, he he's a great guy,
3: one. folks. He's a great guy. I'm also a Kinsman, <laughs> so that's how I know Jason. But it's <laughs> yeah. a
2: yeah, phenomenal group, phenomenal organization. But I, I remember I walked in. He's like, so I hear this, and he told me the story. And he's like, is this true? I'm like, yeah. He's like, great. I signed you up for the speaking competition. I like, say, what? He's like, yeah. And you're going to tell your story. I say, what? What? Yeah. So I uh, got up in front of the kinsmen, As I think you remember back then Or at least the year after um, This was years ago But I told my story to the club And the club helped me and, I, and three or four of them got behind me And helped me write my speech And to practice and hone my skills Then I went and spoke to the other clubs And I started competing And next thing you know I was going to, uh, to Regina And competing for the national championships Which How'd that go? I won <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm actually a national speaking champion Who knew? (laughs) And if you had have went and told 15-year-old Jason that? I would have laughed in his face. Actually, I wouldn't have said anything. I would have turned around and walked away. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know this guy. (laughs) No, not chance. Walked away. That's
3: fantastic. So, so magic. I guess, when did you make the decision to switch from electrician to magic?
2: Oh, I've always known. As soon as 17. So I've changed my life three or four times Mm -hmm. in my life. I changed at 17, I changed it at 25, and I changed again at 30. Uh, So at 17, when I I decided to use magic, when I finished school, I knew I needed a job. And so I went to Electrical at 18 in order to fund, and I picked Electrical because it was a construction trade, it was seasonal, and most of the time you have winters off, which was the prime season for magic. So Electrical was my backup plan to my dream. Man with a plan. Oh, (laughs) every single day I've got a plan. And I follow it right from beginning to end or adapt along the way. And so when I was 24, I, uh, I got my license. I, I actually got my license in that. Because remember, I took a lot of time off to do my magic. Mm-hmm. I did not work a full year. It was always seasonal, and I picked and chose my jobs based on the seasons in my industry. And so it took me about just shy of six years to get a, a five-year license. At 24, I got my license. The day I got my license, I quit. Mm-hmm. I left the trade and, and went and did my own thing and went to what I call J-University. And that is when I went and found marketing directors, uh, accountants, um, branding experts, and found individuals who have done what they wanted to do in their field of interest. And I went and volunteered my time and joined the organization or joined the charity or just straight up asked for help. And I would spend days, weeks, months, some of them I spent years with, Working for free, just shadowing them, just learning from them what are the, what are the skills I need for business to succeed in life? If someone had balance in life, I would go spend time with them and learn how to do it If there was a family man who could juggle both raising their kids but still going to work nine to five and actually stay within a nine to five hours while running their own business that's that 's unheard of in an entrepreneurial world i 'd go learn from a marketing uh, Warren uh, Zebal signs yeah. I needed to learn sign and she 's another kinsman. So I made a bit of a trade with him, and I helped him do his signage at no cost and being an electrician, that was a valuable asset for him in exchange to learn the science and the psychology behind signage. You never would have guessed that the colors all play a principle in distance, etc., etc. So that's how I gained my skills. Mm-hmm. And then I... Uh, and I Listening to experts. Yeah, yeah. I, I often ask my question, myself the question, if I get stuck on anything, I have so many mentors in my life, both past and present. Right now I have seven. Um, if I get stuck on anything, I just ask myself, what would so-and-so do? Mm -hmm. And it gives me a whole nother perspective. I can't count how many times I've been in dealing with signage and thought, what would Warren do in this situation? Oh, he would probably suggest I do. this. great. That's a great idea. I never thought of that myself. Mm -hmm. All because of the advice he's answered me in the past. Now my most uh, prominent mentor is a guy by the name of Blair Singer. And he's the reason why my life changed again when I was 30. Like, it's just, it's change one after another, and it's always based on, well, what do I want next in life? I've achieved this, what's next? And then I set up my plan and look for my mentors and put it in action.
3: That's fantastic, fantastic. So deferring to experts,
2: I'm interested to just kind of
3: uh, explore that concept for a second. Mm-hmm. 10,000 hours, is that a thing? Are you familiar with, uh, an expert is somebody who has 10,000 hours of experience in something? Do you have 10,000
2: hours of magic experience? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Four hours a day, every day of the week for the last 22 years, pretty close. <laughs> yeah,
3: no, and, I, and that's kind of what I'm getting at is, is it didn't happen by accident. You've got a lifetime of experience and, and dedication to something. Uh, do you have any takeaways for somebody who might be in a similar situation and at a young age that might have something, it may not be magic, but it might be something, I guess, general takeaway for, for anybody out there who's
2: got an idea or got a, got a, a dream? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, easy. That, that. You said it may not be magic, but I, I respectfully disagree, because I think we each have a piece of magic in us. You have something you can do better than anybody else. I have met hundreds of thousands of people in this world, both speaking, facilitating, or performing. And every single person I've met has, has an ability, a skill, a tool, some way of looking at something or a way of thinking. That makes them special in their own way. And if you and if you don't know what it is, give me a call. I'd be happy to have a conversation with you and help point it out for you. Um, but if you can figure out what your magic tool is, what it is that's so special about you that you can do better than anybody you know, your friends, your family, your colleagues, and you leverage off that, You can help exponentially explode your results. All you have to do is, one, be willing to look at yourself with an open mind and an open set of eyes, to really see yourself for who you really are, not for that self-sabotaging thoughts and past voices from other people say you are. Don't listen to that. Look at yourself openly and honestly, and then take that and ask yourself, how can you use that? How can you help yourself? Because all you have to do is be good at one thing in this world. If you can be good at one thing, you can help get what you want by leveraging off of it.
3: But that fits so well into what this show is all about, and focusing on ability and and you know knowing what you can do, and, and let's worry about that and, and build off of that. And that's that's a that's a great comment. So, I guess you are an expert in magic, and that means that when it comes to something about the performance art of magic, that you're very prepared to deal with new and exciting challenges. However, I, I think it's interesting to to segue into. Uh, there, there was a show that you that you had a chance to do recently, and uh, there were some unique challenges presented there.
2: You must be referring to uh, the, when I was invited by uh, Jason King to come to the CPD event,
3: the Council for Persons with Disabilities uh, yes. event. yeah, and and uh, I guess for the most part, what kind of mediums does does your craft uh, employ?
2: Well, uh, my show is very visual. I use some auditorial because I tie my stories and I tie my lessons into it through speech. And sometimes it can be hands-on, because I'll get you to hold an object or, or, or handle it in some kind. Um, but then Jason King called me. Uh, Jason was a phenomenal individual. We had a phenomenal, just an incredible conversation. Uh, I remember he, he put a huge smile on my face. He goes, I love magic. And I go, great. Well, you're going to love this show, especially when you see it. He goes, well, there's a challenge with that. I said, what's that? He's like, I'm black blind. And that was the first time I'd heard that term. I, I knew what blind was, but I'd never heard black blind. So he explained to me the difference between being partially blind and being black blind. And for him, that means like he can't see anything. And so I choked because I, I, it completely caught me in a right field. Luckily, he was a very open individual, and I was able to ask him a question. Could you please educate me on, you said you love magic, but yet you can't see it. Mm-hmm. How? And his st- he responded that he loves the reactions and the responses and how people um, how people get involved and in, in just hearing the enjoyment for other people. And it opened my mind that magic or any entertainment can be shared in more ways than just the way we think. And so he challenged me to come and do a show for individuals of varying uh, varying challenges and obstacles in life, from whether visual challenge, physical uh or, or even some mental challenges of different kinds. Hearing everything.
3: Every, yeah. There was a, a pretty representative group of folks there. And, and I did get a chance to see that show. But I'm really curious. Uh, was there anything that you that you did to prepare? Was there anything that you modified in advance? Mm-hmm. I understand there were some things that happened on the fly. Let's get to that after. But I'm curious about what you did to your, to your regular routine mm-hmm. beforehand.
2: Well, uh, first off, I went and listened to your presentation on being inclusive. <laughs> Which is the it was the cogwheel of my success because if I never heard of if I never listened to your presentation on um, what inclusive means and how to apply inclusive to life and the everyday objects so that it's adaptable and usable by everybody I ne- I would have been in a lot of trouble so first thing I did is I started asking myself how do I get people to experience the magic in their hands to touch. Sound, smell, and sight, and try to capitalize on all of them at all times. And if I can't capitalize on with one effect, if I can only capitalize on visual with one, well, then one of them has to cater to uh, those who can only hear but can't see, and another one has to be able to cater to those who can see but can't hear. And so I started altering my props. So, for example, I have a mind-reading effect that is it uses chips that are colored. So I took an elastic band, and on the colored chip that has a one on it, I put one elastic band. The one with two on it, put two elastic bands, three, three elastic bands, four, mm-hmm. four. And I spaced them apart so you could feel them. And I started using my effects so that they would hold them and have them in their hands. And I also turned my, instead of telling my story the way I do, I started to verbally uh, describing the effect I was doing while I was doing it. So those who were listening uh, would hear what I was doing in time with the reactions that were happening, not after or too far before. Um, descriptive audio, yeah. That what that's Yes, descriptive audio is yeah. exactly what I was attempting to do. Uh, and you had some great ideas on how I could even improve on that after the show, so thank you. Well, there's so many things, and, and I'm hoping we can get to that
3: at the end of the conversation, because mm. I mean, we, I'm mean su- i sure that nobody has all the answers, but no. being an innovative chap and, and having a community of folks that are willing to help, I'm, mm. I'm confident we can keep making progress on that. But
2: you know, What else? What yeah. else? Well, before the show, I prepped. I changed my show drastically. I changed about five or six different effects physically, uh, and how I did and how I presented them and everything. And it was interesting because when I got into the show, when I actually stood up and performed, that's when I realized how little I had prepared. Uh, wow. I, I had put days of work prior, just analyzing and trying to predict what was going to happen because this was new for me and when I got on that stage I very quickly realized that I wasn't prepared at all so for example uh, the first effect was I had music and it was it was auditory and visual but I very quickly realized even for those who are visual challenge who had a visual challenge it was too far away for some of them mm-hmm. and the time frame even though it was only a couple minutes in my head I thought that I would go fast in the heat of it it was performed silently And so all you could hear was the music and the actual, and you could see the effect. And that's when I realized that the descriptive audio, I didn't prepare for descriptive audio. I didn't even think of it. So within the first 15 seconds, I realized I have to verbally describe what I'm doing, which is new for me. Mm -hmm. Because at that point was a demonstration of me as a child performing on stage, being too scared to speak or to look up. So I was doing a visual demonstration. So instead, I used descriptive audio and performed describing it. And you can instantly see Jason King and a few others who, who um, were visually challenged enjoying the show as soon as I started doing that. Next thing I realized is that I'm used to performing on a stage. I'm on a stage and you're in front of me. Well, that doesn't work in this setting. So I think it was by the second effect, I grabbed my entire box and moved it to the middle. Mm -hmm. So now I'm performing completely surrounded, which if you've ever seen a magician, you know, that doesn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) No. And so, yeah, I very quickly changed that. I threw three of my effects on the fly, added another effect right in the middle that I I knew was set up but wasn't going to use for the show. I started very quickly putting people's hands in, getting people involved with their hands and doing physical contact and uh, and using things like my puppet, which is, a, is a, a, a bear that looks like a magician and very soft. So I started using touch uh, and made sure I used sounds, started incorporating smells. Don't ask me how I use a smell for a magician. Uh, Unfortunately, it's just a, a lip match, you know, the sulfur. Uh, so I started applying and trying to implement that as well. But I realized very, very quickly that Anything I had planned, no matter how much time I put in ahead of time, went out the window. And that when it came right down to it, what mattered most is that I was willing to try, and I was willing to adapt, and I was willing to think on the fly, and just give it a shot. Because in the end, uh, the show went phenomenal. I met some incredibly nice people. But more importantly, I learned how to make that even better the next time. And so just yeah. by taking that action whether success or failure is irrelevant. Uh, it was a success, frankly, but ir- irrelevant because it was from the action of doing it that I learned how prepared or underprepared I really was and what I could do to make it better next time. And next time I'll get even better and then better and better. That's great, Jason. And I think
3: you have to be an expert to be able to do something like that, to take on a challenge like that and for it to go so well, because there was 30 or 40 people in the room. And I think that they had a great time. Everybody was cheering and having, having fun. I mean, uh, you know, I, I hadn't seen something like that done uh, either. I mean, if, if you've never done it and we've never seen it, um, it was new. It was the first time something like that had been done like that. So so that's kind of exciting. Uh, is there anything, I guess, as far as a takeaway, I mean, next steps for that kind of a program? Um, do you have intentions to do more inclusive magic?
2: I would love to. I, I've actually I've kept thinking of it ever since. How do I add the, both the physical, uh, like I already said a few times, physical, auditorial, and, and visual elements to it so that we can adapt it to everybody and, and thinking of different ways to uh, allow others to be able to do the magic and, and to put it into their hands and into their minds. Um, and so I, I'm very open to doing that again and expanding on it and seeing what else we can create. I think that would be a very fun, unique, and exciting challenge because that's a show I'll never forget.
3: And it might make the, the show even better for everybody else, too. I mean,
2: just, just uh,
3: developing it to be more inclusive could make it better for everyone.
2: I agree. Because now you're hitting multiple elements, you're hitting multiple senses, and that always strengthens an impact. It's no, longer a TV, it's no longer a theater performance. It becomes an interactive, inclusive, and adaptable performance that everybody is part of. It's not me, you watch me, it's our show, it's not my show.
3: Excellent, and, and uh, we're very glad to have you on the show, and, and thank you so much for sharing all that. How, how do folks get a hold of you? And if they want to they want to book you for a show or pick your brain, What, what how do we get a hold of you?
2: Oh, there's two ways. Well, as I mentioned, there's uncommonentertainers.com. That is the entertainment side of things, all uncommon and unique artists of a variety, a variety of natures. Um, the other way is network like a magician. That's more the speaking, coaching, corporate training, facilitating uh, side of me. That's the one that puts me... Without a deck of cards up in front of people speaking, that's the one that shocks me the most in life. I never thought I'd ever do that. Um, But networklikeamagician.com would be the easiest way because you'll get me directly, not just my team. And uh, I'm always happy to have a conversation and and grab a coffee or a chat and and see what can come from it. Could you share an email address? Yeah, it's jason at networklikeamagician.com. Jason at at networklikeamagician.com. Yeah. Fantastic. Or if you Google Jason Chester, you'll find me. Yeah, and yeah. Make sure yeah. Of it.
3: <laughs> Excellent. All right. Is there anything else that you'd like to share that we haven't talked about with uh, with our audience?
2: You know, it would be a message that was told to me by Les Brown. Share your story. Because someone out there, one of you, may have resonated with what I just said. One of you may not have. But those of you who resonated, if you share your story, the person I didn't connect, you will. And if we all go out there and we share our story and share our messages, we will make a difference in this world, and everyone will hear it. Well, thank you very much, Jason, for sharing your story.
0: And that will just about do it for this week's edition of Insight Peterborough. I hope uh, you will keep an eye or an ear or both on your inbox, because uh, interesting things are happening. And I do hope that you'll be able to join me next week. I think we'll ask Trent Radio's very own Rob Haleman to take us out today. Uh, He's uh, going to be singing one of his own compositions called Riding a Moonbeam. Take good care and talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.